Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. They don't want to hear what these guys have to say who are truly representing God. Why? Because it doesn't tickle their ears. You want to hear about destruction? Nobody wants to hear about that. That's not a good church growth tactic, by the way. Nobody's gonna, you're not going to become a mega church if you keep talking about destruction. Right? Tell the people what they want to hear. You crazy prophets, you crazy men of God. That's the, that's the atmosphere in which these guys serve. Who likes bad news? Nobody, right? But sometimes bad news can be good for us if it's something that we can learn from and grow. As Pastor James shares, the Old Testament prophets would often share messages from God that weren't what the Israelites wanted to hear, but they needed to hear them. And instead of taking the news to heart, they often would become angry with the prophets rather than correcting their own behavior, which is a lesson for us that bad news can be good news in disguise. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Hosea chapter 9 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. These guys, they loved offering the sacrifices because it made them feel good. And God's like, I don't want that. I don't want your sacrifices. We already saw from earlier on what God desires is, well, what he desires is obedience. Don't, don't come bringing your sacrifices to me when you're also bound down to all these other offers, these other idols. I don't want your stuff because I don't have your heart. I want your heart. You keep your stuff. Give me your heart. Give me all of you. Why don't I want to give you all of me? Then I'll have none of you. Well, that sounds mean. <laughs> well, that's how it goes. I mean, that's, that's what he's worthy of. Chapter 9. This flows pretty quick, huh? Um, again, same courtroom scenario. That's, this is where we're at. We are in Judge Judy's court, and he is bringing his you know, accusations against the guilty party. It says, O Israel, do not rejoice as other nations do, for you have been unfaithful to your God, hiring yourselves out like prostitutes, worshiping other gods on every threshing floor. So now your harvest will be too small to feed you, and there will be no grapes for making new wine. Again, we always have to go back, because we just finished Leviticus, and I think it's beautiful how the Lord connected these things together, because this was not in my plan to be like, Leviticus. Then you know what? I'm going to go into Hosea because there's all these beautiful bridges that God places within there. That was not even on my mind at all. Okay. And then as we're studying through Hosea, I'm like, holy cow, all this stuff is in Leviticus. And God told him, if you obey me, you'll have more than what you can handle concerning a harvest. If you disobey me, you will have a famine. God told him that. Okay. And now hundreds of years later, now they experience famine and all that good stuff. It's not like it's just now showing up, but God is reminding them what I say comes true. My word always comes true. And here they're going to reap the whirlwind, so to speak. And he's letting them know your harvests are going to be pathetic. They're going to be pathetic. No grapes for new wine. You may no longer stay here 
in the Lord's land. Again, just reminding them the land belonged to him. They were, there, they were simply there as tenants. They're just tenants. The land, yes, the land belongs to Israel. I believe the whole land belongs to Israel. But it's not theirs, technically. It's God's. And he put them there to manage it. For the most part, if you go back into Leviticus, you see that. He made all these rules. And he said, in my land, many years, you will take a year off from harvesting. Because my land, my land, deserves a break. And they're like, eh, we're not going to obey that one. Okay, so for all the years that you disobey that one, that's how long you're going to spend in Babylon. Because my land will get the rest. Because it's his. He's letting them know. This place, it's, this is my land, okay? Instead, you will return to Egypt, and in Assyria, you will eat food that is ceremonially unclean. So he's letting them know, you're trying to find help in Egypt, and you're trying to find help in Assyria, thinking they can solve your problems. They're not going to solve your problems. They're going to become your problem. If you want to look for those guys for help, oh, don't be surprised when you end up there. When you end up there. And you will be eating food. Guess what? That's not kosher. That's not kosher. You don't believe me? Go back into Daniel. And the food that those boys had to eat was unkosher food. So partly why Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that's their Hebrew names. Unfortunately for them, they are forever known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You get to heaven, you're going to be like, where's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And they're going to be like, dude, that's not my name. That was never my name. Some pagan guy who might actually be in heaven, Nebuchadnezzar. There's some thought about that that I think is fascinating. They're going to be like, that dude called us that. Our names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, right? So, um, but those guys, they were part of a group of young men that were taken captive. And they were given the king's food. Do you think Nebuchadnezzar was eating kosher? No. That dude's slinging the bacon and pork chops and all sorts of stuff, right? Like, we can't eat that stuff. Daniel and his three buddies said, we'll just eat veggies. We'll eat veggies. And, and what, a, what a testament to their commitment to God. But look, at, there, that's four young men that we know of out of who knows how many young men. What The idea there is it's a small percentage. It's a small percentage that's remained, as far as we could tell, committed and faithful to God. And, I mean, this is the, this, the people that's being talked to here. I mean, this is like that community. This, these are those people. Pre-captivity, though. So he's, you're going to eat things that are, you know, that are unclean. Um, let's go here. They will be unclean. Wait, I think I'm missing this spot. Let me go back. Uh, <laughs> like, don't skip another verse. I'm trying not to. Um, there he is, verse four. Therefore, you will make no offerings of wine to the Lord. None of your sacrifices will, be, will please him. They will be unclean, like food touched by a person in mourning. All who present such sacrifices will be defiled. They may eat this food themselves but they may not offer it to the Lord. What then will you do on festival days? How will you observe the Lord's festivals? Even if you escape destruction from Assyria, Egypt will conquer you, and Memphis, capital city there uh, within Egypt, uh, will bury you. Nettles will take over your treasures of silver. Thistles will invade your ruined homes. Just desolation. The time of Israel's punishment has come. The day of payment is here. Soon Israel will be, or will know this all too well. 
because of your great sin and hostility, you say, the prophets are crazy. And the inspired men are fools. These guys, don't listen to these guys. They're nuts. They're nuts. That guy, Isaiah, he's just off his rocker. You see him? He's walking around naked. You see that? That guy was walking around naked. Now, Isaiah was before these guys, but you understand what's going on here. Don't even get me started on Ezekiel. Do you hear what kind of food that guy is eating? The bread? Don't eat his bread. It's cooked over dung. Don't touch it, right? Like, don't. That dude's nuts. Jeremiah, that's, what a whiner. What a complainer. All that dude does is like wine. Don't listen to any of these prophets. Oh, just listen to the ones who say, don't worry about it. The Lord is blessing you. Nothing but prosperity. Good times. Your best days are ahead of you. Well, that's a lie. If you're a rebellious nation, captivity is ahead of you. Oh, be careful, America. Great states of the United States. I love this country. However, the further away from God we want to go, our best days are not ahead of us. Judgment is ahead of us. And if, he were, if he's not going to hold us accountable after holding Israel accountable, and then he wouldn't be a just God. Prophets are crazy. Inspired men. They're fools. Says the prophet is a watchman over Israel for my God, yet traps are laid for him wherever he goes. He faces hostility even in the house of God. This is God's chosen servants. The people are always out to get them. Oh, welcome to the ministry. Uh, <laughs> you're like, it's not always like that. No, it's not always like that. Um, it's not always like that. But this is like, this is, Jose is like, uh, let me just tell you about my job. Um, <laughs> like when I show up to church, uh, you guys think I'm nuts. When, when Amos is out prophesying and all that, you guys don't listen to him. You don't listen to him. They don't want to hear what these guys have to say who are truly representing God. Why? Because it doesn't tickle their ears. You want to hear about destruction? Nobody wants to hear about that. That's not a good church growth tactic, by the way. Nobody's gonna, you're not going to become a mega church if you keep talking about destruction. right? Tell the people what they want to hear. You crazy prophets, you crazy men of God, that's the, that's the atmosphere in which these guys served. They weren't like admired. Even Jesus said that. So a prophet's not honored in his own town. He's not honored in his own town. They think he's nuts. Even the people from Nazareth wanted to kill Jesus. They were looking to grab hold of him and throw him over a cliff. But he passed through the crowd. That's Jesus, the greatest prophet ever. And the people are like, that dude's nuts. We need to kill him. It's crazy. But that is the mindset of those who are in rebellion against God. Shouldn't be surprised by that. The things my people do, uh, the things my people do are as depraved as what they did in uh, Gabeah long ago, right? So um, Gibeah is maybe how you say that, Gibeah. That's from um, Judges 19. Uh, That's the Levite and his concubine. Right? You remember that horrible, horrible story from Judges 19 into 20, the first little part of 20, where this Levite gets a concubine, and then the story goes down, um, kind of reminds us of Genesis chapter 18, uh, what's it, 8, 17, 18, 19, with um, the, the angels that came in to rescue Lot and all that good stuff. Well, so this Levite has a concubine, 
And I can't remember the story. The, it's not too fresh on my brain right now. But ultimately, they like brutally attack this woman. And then he, the Levite chops up her body, because she's dead, into 12 pieces, sends it out to the tribes and says, what are we doing? Right? Like this is, and people are receiving this and like, this, this, something like this has never been done. And then they go to war against the Benjamites and all this good stuff. They almost completely eliminate that whole tribe and it's just craziness. But like, that's the depravity that God is talking about where he's like, you're there. Now you, these actions may not be identical. This may not be going on as it did. And then, but it's the way that God sees it is the same. You're no different. Oh, we're better than them right? We're always better than the person next to us, right? Like that's just, that's it. No, 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 we're better. No, I, I'm not, look, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not as bad as so-and-so, right? Like that would be these guys where they're like, look, our generation, we're not perfect, but at least we're not like those guys. And God's like, no, you're worse. You're worse. Why are we worse? Because you don't see it. Because you don't see it. You don't get it. He's like, this, you guys are just like this. He says, God will not forget. He will surely punish them for their sins. The Lord says, oh, Israel, when I first found you, it was like finding fresh grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing first ripe figs of the season. But then they deserted me for Baal, Peor given themselves to that shameful idol, soon, soon they became, they became vile. They devoted themselves to Baal, Baal Peor, okay? Baal as a god is, uh, we talked about this a little bit, but he's kind of the um, over agriculture, so to speak, because they're an agrarian society, meaning they farm the land and what they do. They, it's all about harvest and produce and all those types of things. Well, what they learned from some of the foreigners that were still kind of occupying the land was that there was a God that they would worship who was in charge of not only all of that, helping them to become rich and wealthy, but also in just fertility matters as well. So that's why when you read through the Old Testament, you see that Baal is very common as the as false gods, there there are numerous ones that are listed, but Baal would be like the top, the top dog, concerning false gods. And God says, "Man, I saw you when I first laid eyes on you. When I first laid eyes on you, it was like finding fresh grapes in the desert. I mean, you, I think you can understand that imagery there, right? Like you're in the barren wasteland and it's it's hot, you're thirsty, and then you come across a beautiful cluster of grapes." And he says that, he says, I saw your ancestors first ripe figs of the season, but however, however, you turned away from me. You turned away from me. You, you turned towards the popular God. You turned away from the faithful God to the popular God, lowercase g. The one that you actually have to, you have to sculpt and manufacture from your own hands. And if, if that doesn't communicate to you the fact that he's not a God because he has to come from your hands, then I don't know what will. But he says, you turn from me. You, you've given, they've given themselves to that shameful idol. Soon they became vile. 
as vile as the God that they worshiped. And that is always, always, always going to be the case. You give yourself to anything other than God, you will become like that thing. You devote yourself to God, you'll become a God. No, that's really, no, that's not that at all. Don't, we don't want our, our Mormon friends to get mad at us. No, that's, uh, no, that's false. That's, you won't become God at all. You'll become what? You'll grow in your Christ-likeness. That's the goal. Give yourself to him. Grow in that, in that relationship with Christ. Become more like him and less like them, is what he's saying. But here within the nation of Israel, it's, they've given themselves over to Baal, and he's a vile God, and so they became vile themselves. It's a good application point for you and I is just grow in your relationship with Jesus. Grow in your relationship with the Lord. You want to look more and more like Jesus, more and more like him. The glory of Israel will fly away like a bird, for your children will not be born or grow in the womb or even be conceived. Even if you do have children who grow up, I'll take them from you. It will be a terrible day when I turn away and leave you alone. I have watched Israel become as beautiful as Tyre, but now Israel will bring out her children for slaughter. Oh Lord, what should I request for your people? This is Hosea, and he's receiving this tough word from God. God's like, here's my message that I want you to deliver to all these people. Can you imagine being Hosea and just having to write, record all this, write all this down? The people that, I mean, these are, these are your family members. These are your, these are your neighbors. These are your friends. I mean, yeah, they think you're nuts because you're a prophet, but there's still people that you care about, and you're, he's writing all this stuff down. He says, oh, Lord, what should I request for your people? I will ask for wombs that don't give birth and breasts that give no milk. He's like, I, I just pray that, that no babies will be born into this madness and craziness. And if they're going to be all taken away, in which they would all be taken away, it'd be better if they were not born, is kind of what Hosea is saying there. It's like, oh man, I don't want to see this happen. I do think it's kind of cool how that little insight is dropped within there. Verse 15, the Lord says, all their, all their wickedness began at Gilgal, okay? Um, there I began to hate them. I will drive them from my land because of their evil actions. I will love them no more because of all their leaders are rebels. The people of Israel struck down, their roots are dried up, and they will bear no more fruits. If they give birth, I will slaughter their beloved children. He's like, ah, okay, God, this sounds really, really harsh. What, what, I, what I appreciate about this thing is... In, don't worry, if you keep reading till the end, there's a chance for restoration and repentance and all this beautiful stuff. But God is communicating to his people like, there's a heavy price tag that comes with rebellion. And you and I will often experience the bill, so to speak. But what we don't realize is that our children will be directly affected by our actions and how we, and how we relate to God. Here's the nation of Israel, and he's talking to the adults within Israel, the ones who know better, so to speak. And he's saying, look, this punishment will directly affect not just you, but it's going to affect your children. Because why? Because sin always affects more than just us. Verse 17, my God will reject the people of Israel because they will not listen or obey. They will be wanderers, homeless among the nations. And that's... uh, Obadiah kind of closing out that little section there. Um, 
we're not going to get into 10 because we're getting into the home stretch here as far as the conclusion of this book. Again, remember my goal in going through Hosea is just kind of to over, just to fly over this thing, 30,000 feet, okay? 30,000 feet. You want to get in deeper into the details, by all means, knock yourself out because there's a lot there. I understand there's a lot there that I probably didn't dig into, but that's fine. I'm just trying to give us the overview, um, hitting on stuff as we go through this thing. But starting in 10, um, 10 technically kind of still goes along with that, but we're going to see a shift that begins to happen. After 10, going into 11, there's this shift of like God is being brutally honest with his people as far as their sinfulness and what, that, what that's going to cost them. But he also comes around to remind them, hey, I still love you. I still love you. Because right now, I mean, and please know, if you're reading this and you're like thinking like, this is brutal. This is way too harsh. Please understand, the audience that this was written to were hearing this message, and you know what they were doing? Doesn't apply to me. Does not apply to me. Jose, you're nuts. You're crazy. That's not for us. That's not for us. That's not me. That's not who. I just sacrificed to God the other day. This doesn't apply to me. This applies to somebody else. This applies to my neighbor, because that guy's really messed up, Right? Like, this is what they were doing. As this word is directly applying to them, they were like, so don't feel bad for these guys. If you're reading through this, you're thinking like, oh, man, this is harsh for them. They did not want to hear this message. They did not want to receive this message. They were in flat-out rebellion against God. And here, what you should see, and hopefully what we'll see by the end of this, um, is this beautiful love that God has for his people through the mess of what he has to put up with. And his love for them is perfect, and it is pure, and it is faithful, even to the end. And we know, even from all this, and they'll get set free from captivity, and uh, you know, they'll, they'll go on to, we're going through the book of Mark, they'll be the ones, you know, some of these very same ones will be the ones, their you know, lineage-wise will probably be the ones saying, crucify him, crucify him, and all that good stuff. And then they, you know, then the Lord goes to the Gentiles and this beautiful time that we live in now called the age of the church is happening. But the day for these guys will come back. God is not done with Israel. He is not done with Israel. But in the meantime, praise God that we get to experience his grace and his love and learn from these lessons, I would hope, um, to see how, how they acted in relation to God and there's a lot for us to take away from that and be like, okay, Lord, search my heart. Search my heart. Because I, again, I'm not the Jose in the story. If anything, I'm the Gomer in the story. You know, I, it's, I'm not 100% faithful to God all the time. I'm not the hero of the story. God is the hero of the story. I'm, we're not the ones who is like showing un, just compromising, devoted love towards towards another person. That's God who does that to us. So there's a lot that I can take away from within this beautiful little prophetic book that's like, okay, Lord, search my heart because I can easily get caught up in the checking, the checking off the boxes. Okay, I'll, I'll do this and then this will make him happy, right? Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll do this. I know if I do this, check, check, check. This will make God happy. That's, that's me being like the Israelites. It's like, I don't want that. I just want you.
Compassionate and loving are just a few descriptions of God. Did you know that in the Minor Prophets, he's also described as just? Israel and Judah thumbed their noses at God by making him unimportant in their lives. They gave in to their own desires, did what they wanted, and despaired in tough situations. All of this caused them to forget God as their protector and provider. Why is it so easy to do those things that, in the long run, aren't good for us? More than I care to admit, I see myself doing those same things, over and over. God was patient with them, and He's patient with me. But there comes a point when a reality check is needed. Jesus draws the line between white and black, wrong and right, judging actions and motives. Thankfully, He doesn't leave us in that rotten state. He offers us forgiveness and hope. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through a series called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. Each message professed by the prophets reveals his abundant patience, his faithfulness, and also his justice. If you missed one or more of these teachings, I encourage you to go back and listen to them again at breadforthebroken.com. Just click on the Listen tab. We'd love for you to come join us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Our prayer is that you're encouraged and rest in the confidence that Jesus will right every wrong. Be sure to tune in next time as Pastor James continues here on Bread for the Broken. Bread for the Broken